This is Bethel Online. Welcome home. This is the next best thing to being at Bethel on Sundays. We are driven by making disciples of Jesus who make disciples. When you're online, interact with us on Facebook and Instagram. When you're in Barhead, Alberta, drop in Sundays to Friday. Our goal on this podcast is to ask questions, challenge certainty, and grow a relationship with Jesus so you can go the distance and bring others with you. Thank you for tuning in. For over 50 years, Paul Harvey um, had a broadcast um, called The Rest of the Story. Um, It was a popular radio broadcast daily on many, many stations in Canada and the United States. Um, It was a three-minute little broadcast that I recall when I moved out uh, to Saskatchewan. I remember hearing it for the first time and and I remember every day at noon hour, right after the news, the rest of the story came on, and I would make sure to listen to it. It was entertaining at times, at times it was historical, sometimes it was funny, but uh, always had some interest. Now, I actually have one here for you that I thought I would play for you. It's only three minutes long. Some of you will uh, appreciate this one. Listen carefully. This is Paul Harvey, the rest of the story. The rest of the story. One autumn in another century, there was no room at the Central Hotel. Bad news for Sam Hill. Sam was a paint salesman from Beloit, a passer through Boscobel, Wisconsin. Hotel owner John Church said he was sorry, but it was a busy season. There was likely no place in town that Sam could stay. Sam said, okay, he figured he'd just move on. But then the innkeeper said, wait a minute. There was another traveling salesman staying at the Central, a regular customer. Name was John Nicholson. Just maybe, just this once, John wouldn't mind sharing his room with a colleague in need. So Sam Hill was taken up to room 19. The hotel man introduced the two salesmen, and Sam's predicament was explained. John said, fine. Sam could stay with him that night. Fortunately, there were two beds. Neither fellow would bother the other. The innkeeper left. And that might have been that. But this is the rest of the story. Sam Hill lay down on his bed, his hands behind his head, twilight gently spilling into the room. Sam looked over at John, who, not knowing that he was observed, lifted something small and black from his suitcase. It was a Bible. Sam asked what was John selling. John said paper products. Sam asked what John was doing with the Bible, and John answered that he was a Christian. He always kept his Bible close by. Sam said that was a coincidence. He was a Christian also. Had a Bible in his own suitcase. John said he was about to have his evening devotions. Would Sam care to join him? And Sam said he'd like that very much. So the two salesmen opened their Bibles. They read aloud to each other and then prayed. And afterward, they both lay awake, talking. Darkness had fallen. The street below their window was quiet now, except for the soft rippling of the Wisconsin River current in a log flume nearby. Their conversation lasted hours into the night. But before both had fallen asleep, an idea was born. How wonderful, they both remarked, was the comfort of their Christian fellowship in the midst of lonely travel. And they had grown determined somehow to extend this same comfort to travelers everywhere. A few months later, John and Sam met a man named Bill Knight, from John's hometown, Janesville, and all three agreed 
All three knelt together in prayer, committing themselves to the establishment of an association of Christian traveling men. And they would name their association after the hero of Judges, Judges 6 and 7, the man who led small numbers against impossible odds to victory, John Nicholson and Sam Hill and Bill Knight, thus dedicated themselves 109 years ago. The organization they founded is thriving still, supplying a transient world with the Word of God, distributing a million Bibles every 15 days through 85,000 workers in 134 countries. Of course, you've seen their Bibles in hotel rooms and hospitals and schools, and you've relived that night in the fall of 98 when Sam and John got together for the first time. There was no room in the inn, and they then and there ignited the spark that became the flame called Gideon's. And now you know. There you go. That's the Gideon's. Uh, interesting story. Throughout the month of December, we've been talking, of course, about Christmas and all the events surrounding the Christmas story and the Christmas events. We've been talking about uh, what led up to the birth of Christ, what happened after a little bit. And we've been talking about shepherds and wise men and stars and all the things that are involved with the Christmas story. But what about the rest of the story? What about that? What happened after Jesus was born? Um, the Bible doesn't give a lot of detail, but we did read a few indications that come from the book of, of Luke that uh, Jesus went home and he did what normal kids do. He grew up. Um, the word of God says, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. So Jesus grew both tall and wise and he was loved by God and man. Jesus grew up. And uh, the Bible tells us that Jesus' growth was physical. He grew stronger and taller, and he ran faster. He spoke his first words. He took his first steps. He even learned to go potty. Every one of us had to do it. We had to learn. And uh, Jesus grew. He grew emotionally and intellectually. Uh, at age 12, we read the story of him conversing with the religious leaders and stumping them with his questions. They were amazed at the wisdom that this young boy, 12 years of age, had. He grew socially. In one place there, it says in the Bible that he grew in favor with men. People liked him. People liked to talk about him. He wasn't one of these people that you just kind of didn't want to associate with. He grew in favor with men. Everywhere he went, Jesus, people liked Jesus. And of course, we realize that he grew spiritually. The Bible says that he grew in favor with God. Um, he read the scriptures. He prayed. He lived his life in such a way that God was pleased with him. And he was a friend of God. He knew what that was. He knew what it was to have a spiritual life. These, of course, are the very things that all of us want for our children. We want our kids to grow physically and emotionally and intellectually. We want them to grow and socially. We want them to be friends with people. And, of course, we want them to grow spiritually. We want them to be friends with God. You can't miss the teaching 
throughout the scripture that God wants us to grow. Um, an old saying that growing old is inevitable, growing up is optional. Um, and the Bible teaches us very clearly that God wants us to grow spiritually. After being born again, it's natural. It's natural to use that analogy of being born again to also understanding that God wants us to grow. He doesn't want us to stay as infants. Um, it's not natural for a person to assume that you've grown as much as you can possibly grow, that you're done growing. I don't need to learn anything more spiritually. I'm done. I've reached the ultimate. That's, that's not natural. As long as you're living, you're growing. It's also not natural to say, I don't want to grow anymore. I'm content with where I'm at. That's not natural. We all want to grow, and we want to continue to grow. Have you ever heard of the story of Peter Pan, the boy who never wanted to grow up? That's not natural, and it's not natural in the spiritual realm either. God wants us to grow. And so here's a couple things that God says about spiritual growth uh, that come from the Bible. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 and 15 says, Then we will no longer be like children or infants, and so we'll become more and more like Christ in every way. And uh, Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1 says, Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. Scripture teaches us, I've just picked out two, but Scripture teaches us throughout the New Testament in particular that God wants us to grow spiritually. It's not enough to be born again, but God wants us to mature and move on to spiritual maturity. Let me say, growing old spiritually is inevitable. Growing up spiritually is optional. We have to make the choice. Am I going to grow spiritually or not? Here's a couple marks of spiritual immaturity. Won't take long on them. Number one is instability. Uh, you know a person is immature spiritually when they're unstable. Um, they go with whatever way the wind is blowing. Whatever new trend is happening, that's where they go. Whatever new teaching is happening, that's where they go. Whatever new book or new teacher it comes along, that's where you follow. Um, something that a person reads or sees in a book, uh, that's what you do. Years ago, I remember years ago, a young boy in our church, he was 13. Uh, this was not in Barhead, but he's 13 years of age. His, his dad was on the church board, and his dad asked prayer for his son one day. And he, he said, my, I, I caught my son with marijuana. He had stuffed it in the rafters of the church, uh, of, the, of the house, of the basement. And I said, oh, yeah. And he, he was very concerned about his son. And uh, he had a talk with his son, and his son explained to him why, at 13 years of age, he was smoking marijuana. He said that he had read that the first Christians used marijuana. Immaturity basically follows whatever new teaching, whatever new trend comes along, no matter how silly it is. And uh, instability is very real. Another mark of instability or, or spiritual immaturity is elementary thinking or no depth. Um, you know how it is when you go for coffee and the only thing you ever talk about with people is the weather? 
weather. It's not like you can change it. It's not like you can do anything about it. Um, what about, have you ever read a book or seen something interesting on TV or had an interesting conversation with somebody? You know, there are other things to talk about than just the weather. Um, some Christians only want to talk about how they came to Christ, how they became a believer. And that's really important. Believe me, a testimony time like what we talked about today is really, really important. To talk about those days, that time when we first surrendered to Christ. That's really good. Or maybe we want to talk about the time we got baptized. That's really good. But you know there's more to life, the Christian life, than getting saved? There's more to life than just looking back at the time I prayed a prayer when I was five years old beside my bed. There's more to being a Christian than just that. And the scripture says that that kind of stuff is elementary teaching. Let me read for you just uh, the rest of the passage in Hebrews chapter 6, starting at verse 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection from the dead, and eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do so. That's Paul saying, these are the elementary things. We need to move on from there to deeper things, deeper issues. There are gifts of the Spirit. There's what it means to be led by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. All those things are involved in what it means to be a Christian. What does it mean to be a Christian today? Never mind five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. What about today? What is God doing today in our lives? One of the signs of spiritual immaturity is that there's no depth to our lives. That spiritually we're very shallow, very, not very deep at all. But the Bible does give us a, a, a teaching and, and teaches us very clearly about the ultimate measure of spiritual maturity, and that is that we become like Christ in every way. In every way, we're becoming more and more like Jesus every day. Um, in our speech, how we talk, do we talk the way Jesus talked? Or would Jesus be embarrassed by the way we talked? In our attitudes, do we have the attitudes that would reflect Christ's attitudes? Or are attitudes immature and selfish and, 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 and only looking out for ourselves? Um, in our actions, do we live lives in such a way, do we conduct ourselves in such a way that Jesus would be pleased, that we would reflect Jesus? We are, we called, we're called Christians. The word actually means Christ-like. It actually started not in Jerusalem. It started in a place called Antioch, where Christians, the first followers of Jesus, were living and gathering together, and the neighbors called them Christians, Christ-like ones. If people didn't know you from anything else other than your actions, would they call you Christ-like? Have we grown up in our actions, and are we becoming like Christ in every way? In the way we relate to other people, are we growing more and more like Jesus in every way? Um, and in every day. We need to spend some time 
asking ourselves at the end of the year, where am I growing? And what are some areas of life where I need to grow spiritually? Where does God need to change you? What do you need to stop doing? What do you need to start doing? Um, you may want to be happy like in the cartoon, but what's that going to take? What's it going to take for you to be happy? What do you need to do? And you know, just thinking about it and dreaming about it, not going to happen. Unless you do something about it every day as you move towards the goal. I have a friend of mine who was actually on a board uh, of one of our churches uh, in a previous church, and um, his name is Jim. Jim was one of these people that every year, at the end of the year, looking to the new year, he would review his goals, and then he would write out goals for the coming year, and he would put them in an envelope and stick them in his Bible, and he'd say, this is what I'm hoping to accomplish in the coming year. And um, he would be checking those. And of course, um, being on the board of the church, he would get after me. He'd say to me personally, what are your goals for the coming year? I'm doing this, what are you doing? And so he got me thinking about it. What am I, what am I hoping to do? Because you know what? If we don't make an effort to do something, probably next year, next December, the end of the year, we'll be in exactly the same position. If you're only going to grow just by hoping you grow, it's not going to happen. Farmers, think what it'll be like next fall if you hope that you had a harvest, but you never seeded anything in the springtime. Growth does not happen just by hoping and wishing and thinking maybe it's going to happen. We make an effort every day. And so what are the things that, and what are the areas where God wants us to grow? Um, what is it that, that we need to do or we need to allow Christ to do in our lives? What are some of the areas where God's working on us and challenging us and opportunities? Oh, you've heard it said before, um, if you pray for peace, you'll probably experience a lot of trouble this year because peace doesn't happen in a vacuum. It happens in the midst of trouble when you learn to have peace. Anybody can have peace when nothing bad's going on. Um, you want to have some challenges? Well, pray for things like hope. Pray for things to accomplish, and God will put some challenges in your path. That's, that's the way it is. And so what are some of the areas where God wants you to grow? That's what I want you to think about as we come to the end of the service. Of course, as followers of Christ, one of the things that we all need to do is that we need to learn to recognize that our hope is in Jesus Christ alone. Um, we need to recognize that our strength is in him alone. When I was a kid, I don't know why it was popular at the time, but one of the songs that became very popular when I was a kid in church circles, not, not in, in uh, society, but in, in church circles, was without him, I can do nothing. Without him, I'd be drifting like a ship without a sail. I remember hearing that. I remember singing that. I liked the tune, but then when I actually began to think about it, without him, I can do nothing? You see, many of us don't like, because actually those are words that Jesus said. Without me, you can do nothing. 
And many of us don't like that. Many of us don't even believe that. I can do lots without Jesus. Well, not according to Jesus, you can't. And so you have to determine how you're going to live, by your strength or by Christ's strength. Are you going to learn to put your trust in him alone? Listen for the things that he teaches you by his spirit? How are you going to live? Jesus said that without him we can do nothing. We grow only as we learn to trust in him each day. So I ask you the question as we come to the end of the service, have you done that? Is there an area where you don't want to trust in the Lord? You want to do it on your own? Uh, where you feel you're good enough or strong enough or, or wealthy enough to make it without God's help? Or have you come to understand that throughout life's problems and trials and struggles that will come your way this year, as they certainly will, that your strength is not in your ability it's in Christ alone. I didn't, re- I didn't look up the reference, but there's a reference in the Bible that says some trust horses and some trust men, but our trust is in God. I ask you today, have you done that? Have you come to the place where you're putting your trust in God alone? Listen, for all of us, we're always moving in that direction. As a Christian, if we're growing, we're always growing in that more and more I'm putting my trust in God. There's a song we're going to sing and uh, ask you to sing it with us. You can stay seated. Uh, it's, a, it's a known song, but it just simply says, in Christ alone, I'm going to put my hope. So let's sing this last song. Sing it with us, in Christ alone.